Hey, it's week four of college football pack. I'm your host, Patrick Kahn, and the senior editor of the College Wires with me, as always, is Tyler Natuna, LSU Tigers Wire editor and the co-host right here on the College Football Pack. I think this is the week we've all been waiting for, Tyler. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm always excited when college football kicks off. However, week four, we're finally getting to see a lot more. Last week, you got a taste of conference matchups. This week, I think we're getting a lot more. We're going to kick it right off with a big game going down this weekend in Death Valley. Uh, And this is the Clemson Death Valley, not LSU's Death Valley. Uh, We'll get to that in a moment. But Florida State at Clemson, that's a huge game for me, uh, really because now I think we kind of have an idea about Florida State. We need a better idea about Clemson, and that's why when looking at this matchup, uh, it's intriguing. Uh, We did see Florida State struggle a little bit last week against Boston College. I think the injury to Jordan Travis had a lot to do with that. But looking at this game, what are you looking for, and what do you expect to see as uh, Clemson tries to regain some of that magic that they've had in recent years? Yeah, you know, I will say, I think maybe we wrote off Clemson a little too early um, after that Duke game. You know, I I think they've played better the last two weeks, um, especially this past week against FAU, um, really no struggles at all. Cade Klubnik is playing better, um, you know, and I think that, you know, he had a share of struggles in that Duke game, but this is a young quarterback. I mean, he's, you know, guy making his, I think, what, like fourth or fifth start. Um, so he'll get better. And he, I think, you know, he's a talented guy that we expect will improve with time. Uh, so I, I don't think, you know, I, like Clemson fell out of the rankings. That might have been a little bit of an overreaction, um, you know, but we'll see. I think, you know, FSU, like you said, did look a little sloppy. I think a lot of that could probably be attributed to Jordan Travis getting hurt. Uh, he came back, but probably wasn't at 100%. He seems like he's good to go this week. You know, I, I am curious, though. Like, I think Clemson's defense, especially against Jordan Travis, you know, it not being 100%, I, I think they could do pretty well against this FSU team. You know, Clemson defense, that's been pretty sturdy the last couple years. And, you know, it's not like in the Duke game they got, like, torched. I mean, that was a 28-7 to game. It wasn't really that close of a game or that, that uh, you know, wide of a margin, I should say. I mean, Clemson had, like, three turnovers in plus territory in that game. So it certainly could have been a, a lot tighter than it was. Um, you know, and Clemson has only lost one game at home since 2016. That was last year to South Carolina. But I think that's worth keeping in mind. And with that in mind, um, I'm going for it already. This is my bold prediction of the week. I think Clemson gets the upset win at home and kind of reminds everyone that they're definitely still a team to keep an eye on in the ACC. I think it's a great pick. But I'm going to go with Florida State here. Uh, just looking at what Jordan Travis can do, what they can do offensively with Trey Benson, with the wide receivers that they have. I really like the way that this offense plays, and I think they're really going to challenge Clemson this week. Clemson, like you said, they've looked better. Kate Klubnick has looked a lot better. Uh, I'm kind of curious what's going on with the running back position. I know we saw Will Shipley get into it with his running back over the last game, but they've taken care of business the last two weeks. Uh, so we'll find out exactly who's going to be the, the team to beat in the ACC uh, early on, and, and potentially we could see this game again in the ACC title. But for now, I'm, uh, I'm going to go ahead and go with Florida State here in that game. But we're going to move right along. Game number two on our list, we have Colorado at Oregon. Now, this is an interesting game because there's not going to be a Travis Hunter who, who was taken out uh, by a controversial hit in the game against Colorado State. But Colorado still has plenty of weapons. My big thing here is I believe Oregon's going to bring this uh, Colorado team back to reality because I don't know 
if you look at them defensively, just you know, take away the names Dion and just look at it statistically. Uh, they're going to have a hard time, I think, slowing down Bo Nix, Troy Franklin, and Bucky Irving in that in that high flying Ducks offense uh, in a hostile territory. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, look, I don't want to take anything away from Colorado. This has been an awesome story. It's been fun to watch, Absolutely. and it will continue to be. Well, yeah, and it will continue to be fun to watch. But this is really where it starts to get real. You know, this is where the rubber meets the road. You've played three teams who, you know, maybe we'll see what happens with TCU, but I think three teams that are pretty clearly not among the best in the country. Now you're playing one that is, and you're coming off a game where, you know, Colorado State took you to double overtime. I mean, there's clearly flaws on this team uh, that can be exploited, and the Rams kind of figured out how to despite being less talented. Now they're playing a team that is more talented than them, you know, at least on the whole. And I think that you're going to see some of those problems get exploited. I think you're going to see, you know, the Colorado lines of scrimmage struggle in a way they haven't really to this point uh, in the season. And I really think they are going to miss Travis Hunter in this game. Like you said, I don't think they're going to miss him as much um, for his contributions in the passing game, actually, because, you know, they've got guys there. We've seen that. They're loaded at the skill positions. I, I think, you know, a lot of people wanted to talk about Travis Hunter and Shador Sanders, but they've got so many good players uh, across that offense. So I'm not that worried about that, but I really am worried about not having him on defense against an Oregon passing attack that, you know, hasn't really been tested, but it's prolific. They put up 81 points on Portland State a couple weeks ago. So it's going to be a really tough matchup for Col- uh, for Colorado in this one on the road. I think this is kind of where, where the clock strikes midnight on the Cinderella story. Uh, but I will say, as far as this game goes, I am picking Oregon to win. Uh, but I do think Colorado is going to cover that 20-and-a-half-point spread. Um, you know, that's just a huge spread when, when you talk about two Power 5 programs, especially a team like Colorado who we've seen being able to strike quickly in games. Uh, but for me, I, I will pick Oregon to, to defend their home turf. Uh, and then, obviously, Colorado's got another huge matchup coming up next week. We'll get into next week against USC. Uh, that that's going to be another interesting one. Uh, now we're going to move into. Well, actually, we're not going to move away from the Pac-12. We're going to stay in the Pac-12. We got Utah, UCLA, and this is a really interesting because of the way that Utah has played this year. I think they're going to be facing an offense like they haven't really dealt with as of yet. Uh, no offense to Florida, who just took down Tennessee, but uh, when you look at some of the teams that Utah has played, they haven't really posed a lot of threat, but now they got to go up against a, a UCLA team led by a five-star quarterback, Dante Moore. Uh, they have a slew of weapons, including Carson Steele, who transferred in and running back. I think this is going to be a tougher matchup for Utah. It, it's going to be a close one, I think. Yeah, I think you're right about the fact that Utah hasn't looked great to start the year. Um, you know, we kind of saw in that Florida game, they jumped out to an early lead and kind of were able to just control the game from there. Didn't really have to do a lot down the stretch. The next week against Baylor, it was not the case. They had to come back, sort of had some quarterback issues with Bryson Barnes and Nate Johnson rotating in and out. Uh, to me, the real story for this game is Cam Rising's health. And Kyle Whittingham has been uh, pretty mum this week, as he's been the whole time when it comes to Cam Rising's health. There's sort of some inklings he might be able to make his return this week. But again, they're, they're not saying anything until the game starts, so, so we really won't know. I think that makes a huge difference, though. I think it's been pretty obvious that Utah's not the same team without Cam Rising uh, playing at a high level. And even if he does play, we don't know exactly where he'll be at from a health perspective. But I look at a UCLA team and Chip Kelly – 
I think that Dante Moore is a really, really special player. And, and they've had a good quarterback there the last few years in Dorian Thompson Robinson. But Dante Moore is really a guy that I think could elevate this offense to a level it hasn't been since Chip Kelly was at Oregon. Um, and I'm really excited about this UCLA team, you know, and they've only given up, by the way, an average of 10 points a game. Haven't really been tested too much, but that's a good start to the year. I think that to me, my prediction for this game really hinges on Cam Rising. I think um, if he plays, I think they get the win, especially because it's at home. And as Florida saw, it's really hard to win games at Utah. But I think if he's not, I'm not sure they're going to have enough on offense to keep up with UCLA in this game. Yeah, it's going to be a tough one, I think. And like you said, just what Dante Moore brings to that offense and really the explosiveness that they can have is why I'm really, like you, leaning on this game. Uh, in UCLA's favor, uh, I believe the spread is four and a half. I will definitely take that. Uh, take give me, put me down for UCLA plus four and a half in that game. All right, let's talk about Ole Miss, Alabama. Alabama had a really rough one last week. You know, very unsaban like to watch an offense uh, who absolutely couldn't do anything until they made a switch of quarterback again. They started with Tyler Buckner. He looked bad. Now there was a torrential downpour in this game, and you know, and that the elements do affect you quite a bit. But it just felt like he was never comfortable uh, in the pocket. I mean, I'm talking about a 3-3 game at halftime. Really, they couldn't get anything going so late in that one. Uh, going back to Jalen Milrow this week, I think, is going to help the offense. But uh, Ole Miss looks like a team that's clicking on all cylinders right now. Uh, and they're going to be a tough one to slow down, even for a, a good Alabama defense. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, a tough game for Alabama coming off, you know, back-to-back performances where it's clear they have a lot they need to work on. Um, you know, back to what we talked about it on the other day uh, before they had officially made that decision. Not surprising to see, um, you know, the way those two other two guys struggled on Saturday. Milrow has a lot of uh, flaws, but I think he also gives you the best chance to win because of the plays he can make um, with his arms and legs. But, yeah, it's a really tough matchup against an Ole Miss team that, I mean – Again, not exactly like a super tested team, but they've got, you know, uh, double digit wins over a pretty good Tulane team that granted didn't have Michael Pratt and a Georgia Tech team that maybe improved at least. I mean, they've looked really, really good. I think the offense, you know, they can run the ball, they can throw the ball. Jackson Dart has been way more efficient than he was last season. Um, And I think defensively, you know, as much as Alabama fans were happy to see Pete Golden go last year. I think he's done a good job so far this season with this unit. I'm sort of cautiously optimistic that Ole Miss might be really improved on that side of the ball. And if that's the case, I think it's going to Alabama's going to have a hard time getting anything going because we've seen this offense is is not that good right now and the defense is good, but but I don't know if it's good enough to carry that team. I mean, look, Alabama, unless the lines change, they opened as like a 6 or 7 point favorite in this game. I have no idea why, because I think Ole Miss is the better team. And I think even in Tuscaloosa, I think Lane's going to go get, get the huge win. Yeah, you really look at this defense and what they're going to have to slow down when you talk about Ole Miss. You talk about Trey Harris, Michael Trick, Jordan Watkins. Uh, Quinchon Judkins hasn't really got going, uh, but, you know, he can turn it on at any time. A guy that's been – that was really dynamic last year. I mean, he still has four touchdowns. Is 3.3 yards per carry a little concerning, but maybe they're keying on him, allowing the offense to throw the ball around a little bit. Uh, I have a lot of questions about Milrow and the offense at Alabama, uh, but here, here's my lock of the week. Take the over in this game. I, I think there are going to be points in this. I did take Ole Miss plus seven in this game as well, just because when you look at it, I think Ole Miss, like you said, is the better team all around, and 
really comes down to which quarterback do I trust more in, even though last year there were some issues when you really looked at Jackson Dart with protecting the football. He's done a lot better job this year, and I trust him a lot more than I do Jalen Milrow. Yeah, I mean, I fully agree with that. I think that Milrow has a long way to go, and Dart seems to have developed really nicely coming into this year. Like like we said, it's going to be tough. It's never easy to win in Tuscaloosa, and Lane hasn't had a great track record in big games, and he hasn't beaten Saban yet, but if it's ever going to happen, this is the year. It definitely is the year. All right, let's talk about Oregon State, Washington State. We're going back to the Pac-12. Now, this is an interesting one just because these are two teams that we really haven't talked a lot about. When you look at Oregon State, they've given up 11 points per game, which is really good. It's been early, but now they're going to get tested against a Washington State team with Cameron Ward that looks pretty good. Where are you leaning towards this game? I know we actually have DJU leading that Oregon State offense, and they've looked good. You know, they're putting up 41 points a game. But, again, I think this is a big test for both programs. And, um, ironically enough, it's the two programs that are, are kind of holding it down for the Pac-2. Yeah, and I think that's a lot of what makes this game interesting because I feel like these two teams have sort of gained maybe a cult following, a bit of support just out of the way they kind of were were unceremoniously left behind uh, in a way that wasn't very fair to them considering the caliber of, of athletic departments they are. Uh, but they're two really good teams too. I think it's going to be a fun game. It's interesting. You know, it's a bit of a contrasting styles game between a, a pretty high-powered Washington State offense and an Oregon State team that's a little bit more ground and pound. But, you know, now they have kind of a, a potentially game-changing quarterback that opens up the passing game a little bit more, which I think makes things interesting. You know, Washington State's the more tested team uh, to this point in the season. You know, they, they've got, first of all, you know, a, win, a big win over a Colorado State team that maybe a little feisty, you know, better than we thought they were going to be against Colorado. And they also beat a ranked Wisconsin team who we'll see, um, maybe not a great team, but was still a great emotional win that they controlled most of the way. Um I do think, though, DJU is kind of the X factor in this game because, you know, aside from he wasn't great last week, he went like 14 of 30 and threw a couple picks against San Diego State. But he's overall, I think, been been very solid to start the year. Um, and I think that he maybe raises them a little bit uh, over. But I will say Washington State really good offensively and Cam Ward's taken a nice step this year. I think he's got like nine touchdowns to no picks. So very good start for them. Yeah, I'm taking Oregon State plus three in this game. Who would have thought DJU was the one that was going to win the Clemson divorce, at least early on? Uh, but like you said, we shouldn't write them off too soon. All right, let's talk about Ohio State at Notre Dame. This is a huge one because you have a top 10 defense in Ohio State who really hasn't been tested. Their biggest matchup was against an Indiana team that just looks abysmal right now. And then you look at Notre Dame, whose offense has been great, it, you know, with, with the running game that they've had. Uh, with Sam Hartman, the way he's playing on offense. I think this is a really good matchup, and we'll see which unit is the more legit unit when you talk about the Ohio State defense led by Jim Knowles, or you're talking about the offense, the new-look offense at Notre Dame with Sam Hartman, who have seemed to really up their game there uh, in South Bend. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is game day. It's the biggest game of the week, um, and it, it's a huge one. You know, I think it's a game that we have a lot of questions about both these teams. I think we're kind of wondering, are these teams championship contenders? I think we'll have a pretty good idea after this one where they both stand. You know, I think Ohio State, I'm, I've maybe been a little bit more negative than I should have been. I think that might have been a little bit premature. Um, I think they've been playing better the last couple of weeks. You know, as Kyle McCord has kind of settled into the new role, 
I thought he's looked pretty good, you know, granted against not really real competition yet. Uh, but, you know, slow start from Marvin Harrison Jr. He's he's getting more involved in the offense now. Um, they can run the ball. I also think this is potentially a very, very good defense. Um, not super tested, but they held a, a very electric Western Kentucky offense and a good G5 quarterback in Austin Reed held him to 10 points last week. In a game that people were maybe like, hey, keep an eye on this one. That wasn't even close. So that was that really was impressive to me, um, as impressive as sort of a win of that caliber can be. Um, and I'm curious how that defense looks against a Notre Dame offense that might be the best they've had in years. I mean, Sam Hartman looks fantastic so far. I think he's one of the best quarterbacks in the entire country. I, I think Ohio State, though – is more talented. If you would ask me two weeks ago, I might say, I think Notre Dame wins this game, but the way they've kind of settled in, I think, I think Ohio state pulls this one out, even on the road. Yeah. You look at Ohio state offensively. Uh, obviously you, you know, the names, you know, when you talk about Marvin Harrison, Jr. Uh, Emeka Buka, Travion Henderson, Mayan Williams, you know, Cade Stover. They, I mean, go up and down offensively. Uh, but then on defense, they have some guys as well. When you talk about, you know, Jack Sawyer and Tyreek Williams, Tommy Eichenberg. Uh, but you know what? I'm going to take Ohio State and the points in this one. They're favored by three in this game. I'm going to go ahead and go with them for one reason why, um, one reason only. And, Tyler, I want your take on this. Uh, how can you root against a team that has a player by the name of Steel Chambers? I mean, top ten name in college football right now. Oh, absolutely. And there's some good ones, too. He's got some tough competition there. Uh, but I think, you know, when we look at this, uh, look at this game as a whole, uh, it's going to be a fantastic matchup. I think it's going to be close. I think it's definitely going to be close. Ohio State's defense has given up only a combined 20 points this year. You know, I think Notre Dame exceeds that, uh, but I still don't think it's enough to to fully stop that offense. But a close matchup. Uh, however, if, if Notre Dame does pull this out, uh, you have to really like their chances at the college football playoff as the season progresses especially with some of the matchups they're going to have down the road. Uh, now, we're going to talk about Iowa at Penn State. Now, this is a game that on paper doesn't look great. Uh, you, we do know the storylines of Brian Ferentz, and he's trying to get that 25 points per game average. Uh, you know, Penn State is really good defensively. But as we know with the offense for Iowa, they're my big worry week in and week out. It's still stagnant to me, uh, very inconsistent. Is this game going to be even close uh, between Iowa and Penn State? I mean, I know they're they're bringing their black jerseys to Happy Valley, but almost feels like they're dressing out for a funeral. Yeah, you know, it'll be interesting. Real quick, the Brian Ferentz thing, I'm not sure we've ever really talked about this on the show. But, yeah, just to be clear, if you're not aware – Brian Ferentz has a has a clause in his contract that essentially it, it will be automatically terminated next summer if he does not average uh, if he doesn't average twenty five points a game offensively. I've never really seen anything like that before, but really interesting, especially considering he's you know flesh and blood of the head coach. So, but yeah, looking at this game, I mean, you know, Iowa has their flaws. Uh, most of those flaws are on the offensive side of the ball, as they have been for the past since Kirk Ferentz got there. But, uh, you know, I will say, looking at the rest of the Big Ten West, I mean, this might be the best team. You've got transitional years at Nebraska and Wisconsin. Don't really know where those teams stand. Illinois and Purdue also look to have maybe taken a step back. So, I mean, I think you're in a good position to compete and, and win this division this year. Uh, and, you know, based, the offense, they scored 41 points last week against Western Michigan, which put him back north of the 25-point-per-game mark. So they're on the right side of that. 
I will say, like, this is a very good Iowa defense. They're aggressive. They create turnovers and they create points. And that's something that I think intrigues me against a young quarterback in Drew, Drew Allar, who has not really been tested a lot. Uh, you know, they looked pretty good again in Power Five wins over Illinois and West Virginia, but I don't think we think either of those teams are all that great. This is going to be a tough test for a young quarterback. I'm very curious. I, you know, I do think Penn State is the better team. And I think it really depends on if the Iowa offense improved. But even if it is, we don't really talk about it quite as much. But the Penn State defense is also really good. You know, helmed by Manny Diaz, the coordinator there. It's going to be tough. I don't really see a way Iowa sticks in this game for four quarters. It is going to be tough. I do think they stick within the 14 and a half points. Uh, but I do think the Nittany Lions ultimately win this football game just because Iowa doesn't have enough offense. You can have the best defense in the league, but eventually you're going to need uh, to put up some points, especially at big-time big time opponents like Penn State. Uh, but for me, I'm with you here. I don't think Iowa has enough offensively, and I think they might dip below that 25 points per game uh, mark for, for Brian Ferentz in this game. Uh, now we're going to talk about Auburn and Texas A&M. Now, now this is a game that, um, looking at it, it – why would it be a top 10 game of the week or a top 11 game as we're discussing 11 games here on the college swell pack. Uh, but I, I think this could be a statement game for either Auburn or Texas A&M, Texas A&M who really were got embarrassed against a Miami team, with just their inability to stop, stop the scoring and stop the bleeding. Uh, and we, and we know based on the comments that were made uh, on the Fox noon kickoff last week, if, if Fisher is not able to get it done this season, uh, it sounds like they're they're willing to pull all their resources to get Jimbo Fisher out and, and start anew. Yeah, it's funny, you know. I mean, you look at, at the the slate this week, and like this is one. I mean, pretty good games this week, but I'm not sure there's one I'm like more intrigued by, uh, other than maybe Notre Dame, Ohio State. Just because I think both these teams we have so many questions about, and I think we'll learn so much from this game. You know, Auburn has not been great, but they're sort of just finding a way to power through. You know, got a win on the road against Cal, fourteen to ten, a game that like they had no business winning. They had like under fifteen first downs and had four turnovers. It was ugly. They pulled it off. Uh, you know, have Pey- Peyton Thorne hasn't been great, the Michigan State transfer quarterback, but they're just kind of finding ways to win. Versus an AM team that, you know, has the, the loss to Miami that didn't look great in terms of the final score, but I thought they were decently competitive in that game, um, especially in terms of like the offense moving the ball. I think Connor Wegman and Evan Stewart, and, and I think they've got, and Anaya Smith too, I think they've got good players on offense. I, I lean towards Texas AM in this game. I think it is more important for, for Jimbo Fisher, though. I think this is really a must win for him. Um, We'll see. I don't know what I make of, of that report that they are allegedly willing to spend that kind of money to get rid of him. I mean, they've got money as a university, their boosters do, but that would also be like the largest buyout in sports history by orders of magnitude. I'll kind of believe that when I see it, but regardless, the pressure is going to ramp up a lot here. If you lose this game to a first year Auburn program who beat you last year, by the way, too. Yeah. And I don't know that, I believe in the Auburn offense just yet. I mean, I know Hugh Breeze is going to turn that around. I don't know that Peyton Thorne is the guy, but really when you look at the other quarterbacks on the roster, he didn't have much choice. Maybe Holden Gariner, uh, the four-star guy out of uh, Birmingham, but really looking at this game, I think it's, this is a Texas A&M game to win. Um, they can't afford to lose it. And obviously when you look talent-wise 
A&M just has far superior talent, especially on the offensive side of the ball. We talk about Connor Wegman, Evan Stewart, and some of those guys. Uh, they really can't afford to lose this football game. It is intriguing, uh, but I'm probably leaning towards the Aggies in this one. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you there. I think I just have too many questions about Auburn right now. I think this team is better than it was last year, and I think – They'll get someone. I think they're going to get someone this year. I don't know if this is the game, though, on the road in College Station. Well, let's on, uh, Let's jump over to the other Death Valley. I kind of teased it a little bit early. We have Arkansas, LSU, battle for the Golden Boot uh, trophy. Now, Arkansas is a team that they gave LSU fits last year. But if you remember, this was the Harold Perkins breakout performance where he single-handedly won the football game for LSU. Uh, but based on how the offensive playing for LSU, I feel like he's not going to have to do that this year. And especially if Raheem Sanders is not able to go running the football for Arkansas, it's the way that they looked last week against BYU. I'm really leaning towards uh, LSU and the Bayou Bengals for this one. Yeah. So just real quick before before I kind of get into previewing this game, um, Greg Brooks, who's a defensive back for LSU, uh, sort of going through something pretty scary. He, you know, missed that game on Saturday against Mississippi State. They weren't saying why other than that it was a medical emergency. Earlier today, um, it came out that he actually underwent surgery to remove a brain tumor. Um, so obviously, really scary situation for him. Uh, we wish him a speedy recovery and um, him and his th- family are in our thoughts and prayers. Just wanted to say that real quick. But yeah, looking at this game, um, you know, on paper, I think it's a really good matchup for LSU. I think you look at it, you know, it's at home. They struggled in this game last year. It was 13 to 10. That was in November. It was like below freezing a morning game in Fayetteville. I think this is going to play out a lot differently. Um, I will say, they, you know, not having Raheem Sanders will hurt Arkansas in this game if he's ultimately not able to go. One thing they do have going for them, though, is they do have KJ Jefferson playing in this game. He didn't play in that game last year, and maybe that would have made the difference. And I think we saw against Florida State that if LSU has a weakness on defense, it's in the secondary. If you've got a good deep passing game and good athletes out wide, you can test them. Mississippi State couldn't really do that because Will Rogers was under pressure all game and they didn't even really try to. Uh, I think Arkansas is more built to do that. So if there's a way this game stays close, it's that. It's hitting a couple big plays in the passing game. I don't expect it, though. I mean, the spread here uh, is like 17 and a half. I think that's pretty spot on. Um, in my preview this week, I have I had LSU winning 35 to 17. Um, and I'll stand by that. This is actually my lock of the week. I don't think LSU is going to have too many problems. I think LSU drops 40 in this game. I just The way Malik Neighbors is playing – in the, in the way that Jaden Daniels is really going right now. I just don't have a lot of confidence in that Arkansas team being able to keep up, especially in a shootout. I also am taking LSU uh, by 17 and a half in this game. I think it's probably like a 42 to 24 type game, 21. Uh, I think that they're able to do that. So I'm going to roll with the Bayou Bengals in this one. Uh, I really like the way that they're playing right now. And, and honestly, I think the game that we're going to be talking a lot about uh, for next week uh, could ultimately be the SEC West Championship where we're talking about Ole Miss hosting LSU. That's going to be a great game next week. Uh, now we're going to move on to Oklahoma at, at Cincinnati. The Bearcats finally are going to get their first taste of Big 12 play. And this is an interesting game. Uh, you know, there's a it's a double double score line in this for in the favor of Oklahoma a team that hasn't really been tested at all this year I mean there were they played SMU close were able to pull away 
but I think the Cincinnati team is going to challenge them in the way they have not been challenged this season. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think we might have a little bit of a different view. I think you might be a little bit more optimistic about Cincinnati's chances in this game than I am. Um, you know, team coming off a really bad loss to Miami, Ohio. I mean, granted, one that has a pretty good quarterback in Breck Abbott, but still, I mean, that's a rivalry game. They had, had one. 16 in a row you can't can't have that uh not good i wrote that i wrote in my for the win winners and losers column uh this week that it just seems like the luke fickle is washed out of this program very quickly you know i will say you know potentially dangerous for oklahoma's defense against this team you know good rushing attack led by Corey kiner a transfer running back from lsu and emory jones former florida and arizona state quarterback who's, you know, sort of limited as a passer, but pretty electric with his legs. Um, and that is, you know, makes an added dynamic that makes him dangerous. I think, though, I'm starting to think this Oklahoma team might actually be pretty good. You know, we had questions about them coming into the year. I think they've looked pretty solid so far. You know, offensively, Dylan Gabriel, last year him getting hurt was kind of the thing that really hurt this team. If he can stay healthy, I think they'll be okay on that side. And his backup, Jackson Arnold, looks, has looked pretty good, too, when he's gotten the chance starting to buy this defense too. I mean, they held SMU to 11 points. This is on the road. I, I just don't think this game has the juice that Cincinnati maybe hoped it would in their big 12 opener. I just don't really see it. I will say that I don't think Cincinnati was this football game, but I do think they cover the spread uh, just because of Emory Jones, Corey Kiner running the football, throwing the football, uh, getting the ball to Xavier Henderson. Uh, I think they can keep it close. Uh, it's Another Florida transfer, point. by the way. Sorry. Uh, another Florida transfer, yes. He's got to get his Florida takes in there. Uh, but when you, when you look at this game, I think they keep it close within 10 points. Ultimately, I do think that Oklahoma wins. And uh, Dylan Gabriel finally gets the monkey off his back, and he beats Cincinnati for the first time in his college career after going 0-2 with UCF. Now for the final game that we're going to talk about. It is the battle for the Iron Skillet. Uh, if you're not familiar, that's the annual rivalry game between SMU and TCU. Uh, interesting enough, this will be the second game with Sonny Dykes at TCU uh, after coaching at SMU. Uh, really looking at this game, I, I have a lot of questions about TCU and how good they really are. Uh, you know, we saw what happened early on against Colorado. Uh, they did look good last week against Houston. And now going into this week's rivalry game, uh, you know, I, I'm just excited for an exciting brand of football. You know, Preston Stone and SMU, uh, they got some offensive weapons as well that they can throw the ball around to. So this is a game that I'm definitely keeping my eyes on. And uh, Jordan Hudson, the former, T former TCU player, is now back with SMU, uh, where he originally committed before uh, following Dykes to TCU. Yeah, first of all, Patrick, I actually didn't know that this was called the Battle for the Iron Skillet, which is pretty awesome. So thank you for enlightening me on that one. Um, but yeah, you know, rivalry game for these two teams, you know, not a lot of love lost between them. And the Sonny Dykes deal makes it all a little bit more, you know, I guess, prominent when your your coach leaves you for a rival. You know, SMU heading to the Power Five or whatever, the new version of that's going to be next year. But I think I look at this game, I think TCU is maybe one of the biggest victims of week one overreactions um, alongside Clemson. I think, you know, I talked about it last week too. It's 
it's not the end of the world that you lost by three to Colorado when no one knew what that team was going to be or how explosive it was going to be. Um, I think teams now that they have tape on it are preparing better for them, but TCU didn't have that luxury. I think they're fine. You know, this was a regression year, which is what we expected, you know, with all that they lost from last year's team. But I think Dice is a good coach. I think they'll improve throughout the year. Um, and truthfully, I just, you know, I think SMU offensively, especially is probably better than they were, uh, better than they showed in that Oklahoma game, you know, Preston Stone, a guy that's been in the system for a while. Uh, I just, I think TCU is pretty good. That win over Houston was emphatic last week on the road. I don't really have a lot of confidence that SMU wins this game. I'm leaning towards TCU as well in this one. Uh, but it, it will be an interesting to see kind of how the two sides play. You know, SMU, talented offense, uh, led by Rhett Lashley. Uh, I, I think that they will put some points on the board. I think they'll challenge that TCU defense. But ultimately, I just feel like TCU has too much firepower, uh, you know, even with what they lost last year through the NFL draft. But for me, I'm going to roll with TCU in this game. Now, for our final segment, we're not picking a game here. Well, let's talk about the hot seat, uh, coaching update. And Tyler, I want to start with you. Like, which head coach are you looking at right now uh, at the top of your your hot seat at this point? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I would say – I mean, I think the hottest seat in college football right now is probably Jeff Halfley at Boston College, even with that performance against Florida State. I mean, this is a team that could really easily be 0-3 with a loss to Holy Cross if they had they lost that game and they lost to Northern Illinois. I think he's in trouble barring something really surprising down the stretch. But I think that, you know, going back to going down to your home state of Texas, I think there's another guy that maybe is uh, is creeping up there. There definitely is a guy with ties to Texas Tech uh, where he coached under the legendary Mike Leach. Dana Holgerson for me right now, you know, I think losing to Rice kind of started to heat his seat up. And the performance against TCU was really what has set this thing ablaze offensively they scored no touchdowns their only touchdown of the game in that 36 to 13 beatdown uh was a kickoff return by matthew golden where he went 98 yards outside of that offense has no identity uh donovan smith has looked bad for them uh turned the ball over several times in that game against ccu so for me right now looking at uh, dana he's the number one guy on my list uh with jeff hathley right behind him yeah, I think, you know, we've talked about it a lot with Dana, so I don't want to keep hammering the same points, but I mean, it's just not working out and you're paying him a lot of money. I mean, much relative to the power now, he was the highest group of five coach in the country for a while. I mean, you know, he's an air raid tree guy. He's an offensive play caller. He's a schemer. And that's just not really the archetype of what teams are looking for these days um, at high level college football, especially in the state of Texas. And I think, if you're a Houston fan, especially, you know, a Houston donor of which there's a lot of very wealthy of them, I think, you know, you're looking at other programs in the state. You're looking at what Texas Tech's doing with Joey McGuire. You're looking at what, you know, uh, UTSA is doing with Jeff Trailer. even what G.J. Kinney's done in a short period of time at Texas State. You look at these guys who are more like that program builder kind of archetype. I mean, I think you might look at the opportunity to snag one of those guys because you feel like you're missing out on opportunity in, in one of the biggest metro areas in the entire country at a school that has no shortage of money and is now at the Power 5 level. Well, if you look at what he's getting paid based on last year's USA Today uh, coach's salary, $4.2 million for Dana Holgerson. That's a lot of money to be paying a coach who's not winning a whole lot of football games 
you know, in comparison, you had a guy like Eli Drinkwitz that was making that last year. He's kind of turning things around for them. Uh, but right now, it, it's not a good look, and it, I think it's only going to get tougher uh, as the Big 12 play kicks off. They do have Sam Houston this week, so they get a little reprieve. Uh, but then Dana Holgerson's got to go back to his old stomping grounds to face off with Texas Tech in week five. But that's going to do it for this edition of the College Ball Pack. For Tyler and Patrick, we'll see you next week.